0: If you're growing a business or just thinking about launching a startup, this is definitely the podcast for you. This is Fast Forward, brought to you by Tech Manchester. We support early stage tech focused businesses. Each week, we'll dive into the issues that we know keep entrepreneurs awake at night. We'll chat to experts who will share their tips and advice on how to handle everything from raising finance, making your first hire to getting your company noticed on social media or in the press. Running a business is a roller coaster. It's exhilarating, but it's pretty damn scary at times too. We're here to help you get your business off the ground and hopefully get a better night's sleep. It's hosted by me, Patricia Keating, Executive Director at Tech Manchester. Welcome back to Fast Forward. This week's podcast is a little different. London Tech Week celebrated its sixth year in June and was a week-long smorgasbord of tech events, talks, panels and tech experiences. But it wasn't just about London and it wasn't just about tech. Tech drives growth for sure, but it's people who drive innovation. And this year saw Tech Week looking outwards to find out what the regions were doing in that space. Manchester was invited to join the party and showcase what it was doing to embrace inclusive growth to transform both its communities and empower its people. I was delighted to be part of the panel at the Get Ahead Life Festival that week on that very topic. Launched in 2018, a festival to counter the growing hustle porn image that founders need to burn out to launch a tech business or achieve a high flying career. The festival delivered a 24 hour experience which visitors could tap into throughout the day and night with a mission to build resilient entrepreneurs. This is a recording of that panel. Hosted by Daniel Kirby from the tech department and founder of the festival, I was there representing for Tech Manchester and UK Fast on what we were doing to build an inclusive business. I sat alongside Richard Jeffries, head of the growth company, Elizabeth Vega, CEO of Informed Solutions, and Neil Robinson, head of CSR at the Manchester airport. Have a listen and let us know your thoughts.
1: Welcome, everybody, to the best session of the day. Um, isn't that right? Where we are welcoming the, the, the best and finest city in the UK to London. Our uh, esteemed panel here have travelled all the way from the north of England uh, to be here today. So can we have a big round of applause for our incredible esteemed panel here? Um, yeah, Today we're going to talk about profit people and planet or the, i think that's the right order um and um for those who don't know me my name's Dan Kirby i'm the uh, creator of get ahead festival Woo! it was my idea yes and um somebody took it seriously enough to actually do it so here we go and um it's interesting because um i i have a day job i, I run a company uh, we um, make technology and help people uh, improve their businesses using technology and over a lunch with one of our clients Richard here um, up in Manchester we got chatting about work and we got chatting about some other stuff and then we got sort of put in the we got on to putting the world to rights I think was, uh, and then we got talking about Get Ahead Festival and this idea of um, I guess Looking at growth and looking at uh, how how does that impact both the individual, which is where I came at this from, the impact of me trying to run a company made me ill, <laughs> right? So then, then then that but that also has an impact not just on you as a say an entrepreneur, but your team, and then your community, and then the society that you live in, and then ultimately I guess the planet we're sat on. And so this concept of um, as we were talking, this sort of concept of inclusive growth came up. This idea of how do you grow whilst sort of not doing yourself in and then doing everybody else in for that matter. And and it was a really intriguing idea and the idea of, 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 of Get Ahead as its role in that and how we could help sort of champion this kind of thinking. So um, I just want to sort of, before we kick off, so today we're going to talk about that and hopefully when you, you'll find lessons for you to take away to help you kind of in your day jobs or, or, or in your uh, in your careers. And um, so I'm just going to ask our panel to introduce themselves. So uh, my name's Dan. I'm from Get Ahead. I'll pass you over to Richard here.
2: Hi, so I'm Richard, Richard, Jeffrey. I'm the Director of Growth at The Growth Company. We're a social enterprise based in Manchester, operating all over the UK. Based in Manchester, we help companies start, grow and scale globally. But we also help get unemployed people into work. We also help... Uh, with skills training and development. We're one of the biggest providers of apprenticeship in the north of England. And so we integrate all of that. So if you come to our reception, you might get somebody who's never worked, sit next to a potential global investor who's coming to invest in the UK. And our idea is we join all of that up so that individual can progress and grow, get trained up, and hopefully go and work maybe even become one of those global investors in time. So uh, we put economic and social impact before our other activities. So that's who we are and really looking forward to the panel today.
3: Hi, I'm Elizabeth Vega, and I'm the Group Chief Exec uh, of Informed Solutions. Uh, We specialise in digital, the large heavy lifting at the back end, digital enterprises as opposed to the consumer front end. Uh, we're actually a member of the, um, and we've benefited enormously from the uh, the growth company in Manchester, our head office is in Manchester, that we have offices in London, Edinburgh, and in the last five years we've also grown to three offices in Australia, Sydney being the, th- um, the head office in Australia, and Canberra and Melbourne. All East Coast, you will have noticed. Um, we're also members of the Scale Up Institute, so we've actually done that journey through growth and through exporting Um, And I'm also a member of the SME um, advisory panel to Cabinet Office, trying to get government to understand how to better support small and medium-sized businesses and to give us a little bit of a level playing field.
4: Hello, I'm Neil Robinson. I work for Manchester Airports Group, where I'm the Group Director for Corporate Responsibility um, a little bit about who we are We probably the least surprising bit is we own and operate Manchester Airport, you might not realise we also own and operate East Midlands Airport it's in that little triangle between Nottingham, Derby and Leicester and we also operate Stansted Airport near London as well um, we've got some business interests in North America as well in sort of airport related stuff um, I suppose a little bit of sort of by way of introduction is relevance for today, I suppose what we do have is we've got scale, we're quite a big business, there's something like about 48,000 people work at our airports and we're a rapidly growing business looking essentially to double the scale of the airport in about 10 to 15 years of all of our business operations and I suppose the, the thesis for us really is we're regional businesses serving regional people so how do we make sure that all of the exciting growth opportunity and value that comes from that lands in the right place and in the right way so I guess that's what I'd like to draw out today.
0: Good morning, or good afternoon. I think it is now. Um, so my name is Patricia Keating. I'm the director at Tech Manchester, and that's a support organisation dedicated to helping early stage tech-founded or focused businesses. Um, we're wholly funded by and based on campus with UK Fast, who are a web hosting and data centre provider. Up until Christmas, uh, was the largest in the wholly owned in the UK. Um, and I guess we're probably the embodiment of what we're trying to talk about today. It's like that. Inclusive growth, how do businesses give value back? And our, our fortunate position to be based on campus with a company that has given us unlimited access to their resources to help smaller businesses is probably the example of that. Um, part of uh, my day to day job would also be leading on diversity and inclusion within UK FAST. So I work closely with the senior leadership there, making sure that we're providing structures, policies, and an environment which allows us to scale and grow um, as it's grown from like a two person startup business itself to over 450 people and it's continuing to wow. grow at a crazy pace
1: amazing well, well thank you for all being here and it's an incredible panel uh, incredible experience we've got to tap into i'm just going to kick off with i'm just going to throw this at richard because richard and i um had this lunch and this idea sparked off and I, so what the hell's this inclusive growth thing richard like come on i'm still haven't worked out what what it all is help me
2: so um, I think the best way of looking at inclusive growth was it, it really came from uh, a conversation I had with Andy Burnham, the, the mayor of Greater Manchester. So for uh, many years, we'd been helping companies grow, scale, take on employees, and really our core ambition was about how many jobs have, have we helped businesses create. But then Andy came along and he said, well, that's really interesting, that's great that you're doing that, but are they good jobs? You know, are people in these jobs happy are they having a prosperous life a prosperous career so are they good jobs uh, where are these jobs are they all just in the center you know or actually is the whole of greater manchester benefiting and, and and thirdly who's getting these jobs who's really benefiting from these jobs that you're helping to create is that local community really able to benefit from all those skyscrapers that are happening all of those uh, new jobs that are coming in. And it's fantastic that we've brought GCHQ, we've put their digital division in town. It's fantastic that we've got companies like UK Fast doing everything that they're doing and growing. But are the local communities really benefiting? And actually, if you look at all the indices, Greater Manchester did really well at growth, but not so good on the indices around inclusivity. So we've had a really great push to say, how can we make sure that the people of Greater Manchester really benefit from that? from all walks of life. So that's how I would summarise it. Okay. You know, good jobs, making sure broader bits of the, the geography and the community mm. and, and, that, uh, and making sure that the local people can benefit from that. And that's a story that transcends well beyond Greater Manchester. Mm. That's a story that can be relevant for the whole of the UK and I think is very pertinent at the moment.
1: Yeah, I, 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 I think that's, it's a really interesting thesis. And what I'm kind of interested actually today is we've got three Well, people here, an entrepreneur, somebody's working in a very large, much larger organization, and then somebody's responsible for kind of nurturing the next uh, high-growth companies here. And so I'd like to explore uh, this idea of growth that brings people people along. And and Liz, actually, as an entrepreneur who's um, had a successful and scaled-up business, how how do you do that when you've got all this pressure to uh, pay everybody's wages, I guess, and, and to grow the business?
3: I think you need to have a plan, but be flexible in how you execute that plan, or you can really frustrate and stress yourself. And that's where burnout happens, Dan. We were talking about that earlier. And the fundamental choice you need to make is are you going to be what is a traditional startup, which is you learn to pitch, you learn to acquire or, or, or gain um, working capital, VCs or whatever, and then you already have a pre agreed exit plan in three to five years as part of that funding? That's a very different business model to what is the sustainable growth model, which is, I think, where it's exceptional. uh, The Scale Up Institute, and I know there's Josh in the audience, the Scale Up Institute supports that initiative as the Manchester, as a growth company does. And that's about building a business in a sustainable way. It's not about burning fast and hard and exiting in three years, but just building a team around you, enjoying the journey, and actually having a plan but being able to flex around it. And you attract a very different type of person. You surround yourself with very different type of people. If that's the journey you want to do, which is the one that I've done, my business has been 27 years, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. But if you choose to do a sprint, know it's a different race. And you need a different technique, you need a different team, and you need a different game plan.
1: Uh, so Trish, just on that particular point of startups and expectations and game plans, and how does that resonate with you with what you're doing? Uh, UK fast.
0: Um, I think uh, certainly in Manchester the kind of the ethos that's that's kind of evolving is that um, it's coming from policy and we're seeing it built into the GMCA digital strategy, the Manchester industrial strategy. Um, and then you're seeing it um, propagate then all of these businesses who are then starting to um, pop up to basically help support businesses that are really passionate and want to embrace that sort of diversity ethos from the get-go. Um, so you've got like different initiatives like Tech Returners and um, Innovate Her and um, different different organisations like that. Amy Newton's consultancy around inclusive in tech, and there's startups themselves that are starting to propagate to help kind of foster that. Um, and that, but that also drives from the companies themselves, like obviously Informed Solutions doing an awful lot around um, well-being and culture. Um, you know, UK Fast is, is heavily invested in that, and there's many, many bigger businesses. But the startup culture is then seeing that, and that's becoming sort of the the. the the ethos of the startups—they're learning best practice from the bigger, more responsible employers, and I think that comes from, like, the medium-sized businesses. You know, not, not the large corporates, not the SMEs who are still trying to find their way, but those medium-sized businesses that have established themselves in com- communities and are committed to um, sustainable business because they are very invested in how that works. It's, it's a very I think that kind of fast, scale-up, exit-fast is a very selfish approach. Um, and we don't want to foster that. We want to make sure that we're building resilient, um, you know, mindful entrepreneurs. Um, and what we talked about earlier was you know, that the timeliness of being approached for this particular uh, event is that we're just off the back of host- hosting a wellness festival in Manchester for entrepreneurs um, to help build the right type of mindset into those younger businesses so that we are building a very strong future.
1: And again, Neil. Neil, from from your point of view, it's you're in a very different, I guess, place. But do you see this? Is this sort of in terms of the business size, perhaps? But do you see this as as relevant to you as well?
4: Absolutely. So it resonates very much with me. Though, if you look at the the nature of the business that we are, what do we do? We spend large amounts on infrastructure and we get very long returns on them. So what we need is a business that delivers strong, positive financial returns but does so sustainably for the long term. Now, if you're going to deliver that sustainably for the long term, that needs a completely different mindset. And almost go back to the analogy you gave of the individual entrepreneur burning out and keeping yourself well and healthy well actually when you've got a large organization what you need is highly productive people and to get highly productive people what you want is a very inclusive and diverse workforce and you want people that actually want to come to work and want to be engaged and productive in the environment that you give them and so if you create the right environment with the right incentives you get good people and good people deliver the service that you want that's absolutely what the business fundamentally is about and is the best way to deliver the desired outcome. So it's actually the means to the end. Interesting. And, and, and Richard, I'm, I'm
1: curious from your point of view, um, I mean, you mentioned this. a lot of this has come from uh, talking with Andy Burnham, and this sort of, which... Uh, Again, this sort of macro view, the sort of policymaker's view of, uh, of an economy. And, and we're at the, well, I'm, you know, I run a small business and I'm at the sort of coalface end of the economy in a way. But I'm curious about what, how does this look from, from where you're sat, this idea of sustaining a business and, and growing sustainably over time?
2: So, so I think from the point of view of uh, you know a city like Greater Manchester, as many others, they want to encourage that growth. They want businesses to be there to come and invest and expand, but they want to really integrate those businesses into the fabric of the city and into the culture. And so that when you see the ability uh, and the organisations and infrastructures put in place to ensure there are those pathways for local communities to To get into that, it helps us then tackle some of those skills barriers. It helps us tackle some of those issues in a way that's really systematized across the city as a full ecosystem. So when you get that working well, that gives the confidence to major employers out there to say, do you know what, we are gonna put our headquarters there. That gives the confidence to the likes of TalkTalk Talk to say we're gonna shift our headquarters from London, we're gonna put it in Manchester. That gives the confidence to for businesses to go, do you know what, we are gonna go and expand there. Because they know they've got the support of all those institutions around the city, right from are we gonna get the finance we need, are we gonna get the staff that we need, are we gonna get... So that's really critical for it. And I think what's emerging now uh, is, is very much around a, a almost a charter for the city that's about a good employer's charter. This is the way we do business in the city, and that can transcend beyond. But that philosophy of, right, how are you paying your staff? How are you incentivising them? What's their work-life balance like what's all of that and getting that so from a top level policy perspective that's really embedded in and that's been done hand in hand with the private sector so all the business representative organizations have been involved in developing that so it's just how we do business in the city and you know the the philosophy they often talked about quote of you know we do things differently you know, and and it's, it's true and i think seeing that work hand in hand is then translating down, and as as you say, Trish, you then get startups coming on and other organisations seeing a different way of being able to operate, and going down that different path to hopefully go on and build those sustainable businesses. Uh, it's
1: really it's interesting because it, so my company is 15 years old this month, so I'm kind of thank you. We're actually having a party later at seven o'clock, so come down. There's free pizza. Um, <laughs> And, and we have just set out a 15-year plan, literally. And, and, and so this idea of a long-term view is something I just take seriously. And Neil, I'm interested to sort of see from your point of view, because you're making these big capital investments and I guess you're plunking these sort of, these, these very much destinations yep. into, the, into, the, into communities. Now, how does this, this uh, what's your perspective on this?
4: Yeah. I've just listened to the two contributions, really, that... That sort of framework of having the right environment in some ways rather than have that delivered to business that's a very passive business needs to be engaged and involved in that so for us if we're going to grow in the long term what we need more than anything is good quality people who want to come and work in the right environment and we can't sit back it's too much of our risk to our business to not participate in that so actually when you look at what we've done just by practical examples we have nicely branded what we'd call Arizona on-site education centres. Each airport has about 5,000 young people minimum, comes to our on-site education centres just to learn about skills that employers value, learn about careers, meet real people with real jobs who look and feel and talk like them, raise levels of aspiration. We've got academies that reach out to -to harder-to-reach groups in particular to give them the sort of confidence and skills they need to get into employment. And then we were, with a focus on young people, we've just actually built an on-site further education college at Stanford, 550 places, turning out hundreds of young people as apprentices to come and work on the airport site. So we're really engaged in local communities to give them the skills and aspirations they need to succeed. But actually, we're not doing it in a philanthropic way. We're really doing that because it's, it's good for the long-term sustainability of our business.
1: That's interesting. And, and I think, again, um, um, from, from Liz's point of view, she's running a company for a, a long period of time. I mean, does that resonate with you? Is this a, a selfish act to have a, a, as a long-term investment in your communities?
3: No, actually, um, you're right. Um, it, it attracts the right type of people. So, in our organisation, uh, as Tricia said, we have a wellbeing program, uh, which includes a number of facets, including, um, uh, uh, what do they call it, um, massages every every fortnight, etc., which is in themselves a start-up, so we're actually supporting other, other smaller businesses. We're giving them an opportunity to grow a customer base. Uh, But we have Informed Academy as well. It's investment in skills and development. It allows a number of things. It includes return to workers, which is, of course, people that have taken parental leave, but also people that have had long-term unemployment. could be for health reasons, for example, or career breaks. And it, it helps them come back into the workplace and feel a little bit more confident because often they don't recognise the workplace after extended Um, absences. It also allows people to pivot their careers. After you've done the same job for five years, you sort of get bored and you lose your motivation. So we actually have a quite a methodical um, skills development plan which is about developing adjacent skills, things that actually help you leverage your current skills but into fresh areas which help motivate you. And you end up with a really very highly skilled workforce that has a very wide mindset. They don't develop very overly narrow thinking. And so they're adaptive. You can put them on different types of job. They love the variety, but they're also more valuable as professionals and you get to keep them longer. Hmm. Mobility of staff is great at one level... But actually, it's a nightmare for business continuity. So, if you are able to build within your business, the, the, to give them the opportunities to progress, learn, and develop areas which uh, still build on their strengths, and you also get to keep your staff because they're motivated and you can pay them more.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. And Trish, from your point of view, you're seeing these very early stage businesses. This is something that that I mean, are people aware of this now? This idea of the need to provide flexibility within their roles to retain staff.
0: Um, I think um, I think yesterday's report that came out yesterday. If anybody has uh, seen it or read it yet, the Tech Nation Skills and Jobs report. It actually identified it as a resignation culture that it's so easy now to leave a job and go and pick up a ne- uh, your your next opportunity. And I think Elizabeth, you're absolutely right. It's it's about complementing um, learning and development with naturally inquisitive people and um, who are embracing that sort of lifelong learning. And you can focus very much on technical as as technical businesses. Um, and I could probably. Speak speak more towards what uk fast does in that space so you know they've got a sort of state-of-the-art training center they have um all the technical uh qualifications that they can test and qualify their magento and they're the only linux professional institute in the uk that can test all of that kind of stuff but it's absolutely imperative that that is coupled with the soft skills um the, you know the softer uh skills so they've got a very sort of um sort of very robust leadership program and then the mentorship program, which I lead on. Um, and that's a, a six-month program, which is not necessarily about career development and it's open to anyone within the business that might have uh, like a professional uh, or, or a personal thing that they want to develop. So we they come to us with what they want to achieve over a six-month period and we find someone then within the business that can help them on that particular journey. Um, what I'm really proud to see is that without make it without contriving it because we don't pick the people that go on it. Um, 60% of the f- mentors that support that are female or women um, and it's a it's 50-50 gender parity in the, in the mentoring programme for the mentees that are coming through. So what we're doing is building a really robust future pipeline of, of leaders who are going to help take the business forward and that's happening because we're giving them the power to decide what it is that they want to learn and how they want to learn it.
2: That's, uh, uh, Richard. Just to... So, just to add a little bit more on that mentoring I mean when we set up uh, our business growth hub which uh, is a program that helps uh, start and scale those businesses we put mentoring right at the heart of that we wanted to make sure that you know we set out this vision that every business that came to us has a mentor because we think a it's great for the leader uh, and it's great for embedding that philosophy that you can then take it into your workforce and have a mentoring program within it and why was that so important to us well I think, you know, I'd personally seen the benefit of mentoring for me, and that had stopped me burning out a few times when I had a few folk around me who were going, do you know what, yeah, that's great what you're doing there, and great that you're scaling that that social enterprise, but... Just check in with yourself, and are you getting the balance? Are you fitting it in with your long term? So certainly it works for, for the core philosophy of what you're trying to do for the festival. Mm. But then actually then taking that and building mentoring into the workforce, it's so important to have those programs in place. And we, we've certainly embedded it in ours, as many others have, and I'd really encourage others to look at that. Yeah, but
1: what's interesting about this is, and put, there's a little part of the back of my brain, as a small business owner manager that's going yeah fine but you know I've got to pay everybody and I've got you know some I've got an overdraft and this I need to make some money and there's this pressure on me as a as a leader Um, and that's all nice very nice mentoring and being nice to people and having massage and all that yeah but I'm running I'm in the real world here Right. So, so how, how do you respond, uh, Liz, I'd be curious on your point of view as, a, as, a, as an entrepreneur. How do you, I mean, is, surely this stuff is just nice to have. I mean, how do you make this a, a part of, of, of a profitable commercial company?
3: Yeah, that is a particularly good question because um, sometimes, some entrepreneurs, particularly the ones that, that like the longer game, they care about the people around them. You know, you know your, your staff, You know their families. You even know the name of their dogs, okay? And it's personal. Business then becomes personal. You worry about making sure that you can pay their salary so they can pay their mortgage. Um, And you have to be, at some point, mindful about how that affects you. You are always the last person to get paid. Um, And there are ebbs and flows in a company, so the important thing is communications and not overcommitting. Making sure that you pace yourself and, like you were saying, check in with yourself to make sure, is this a tolerable level of pressure am i am i taking on a level of commitment that is viable and then you always communicate to your team it makes you a little bit vulnerable because and i don't mean that you you know you sort of you you um you overshare, but you make sure that you communicate to your team you take them on the journey hey look you know we're going we're going to go into a growth stage uh we're going to fund this we've got a really good plan but your part in that equation is i need to count on you guys to do this How can you support that? So you don't tell them how to do it, but you tell them what you need to do as part of that business growth plan. Um, You make them part of that co-design of the solution. And then you also share a little bit to say, look, by the way, just understand that I'm prepared to take this risk and that we're all in it together. That makes you feel a little bit personally vulnerable, but the right people will never take advantage of that. And if you assemble and you hire people for values, not for skills, remember, smart people learn. But you can send them on however many training courses you like, you are going to find it really difficult to reprogram their core personal values. So hire people that are smart but have got good values, you send them on training and it always pays off. But if they're not aligned with your belief or your ambitions, you're going to be working against each other. So how how
1: do you make that make money? Come on, it's it's all this kind of... Well, it's it's part
3: part of that plan and part of making sure that everyone contributes a contribution. So... Some of the techniques that we use is um, we have a loyalty system, and we call it loyalty pays. After you've had, and we normally notice that uh, we were we were getting to the point where we were training people up to work for our competitors, and that was, excuse the vernacular, that was so pissing me off. <laughs> okay? And you're right, Trish, we're a mid-sized company. I have no ambition to pay highly skilled people to go and work for my, my immediate competitor. Um, So what we did is we introduced a bonus scheme. We have an annual bonus scheme where actually we redistribute a proportion of our bonuses to staff. But if you're with us for three years, there's a multiplier. You're with us for five years, there's a multiplier. You're with us for 10 years, which a lot of my core senior team are, you get double the bonus. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you have loyalty, and actually they can contribute to that profitability because everyone's incentivised. It's not quite like John Lewis, but you get the principle things
1: like that and, and, but in a lot say neil in a, lot, a larger organization and i, I imagine there's this, a, a lot of investors involved and, and money that is required to to make a, a big operation like that happen how do you how do you square this sort of pressure to to, to drive your team and and get more more out of less
4: um, i see very little difference actually in, in fundamentally at the top of this i said that so best way to deliver sustained financial performance is to have really good people and have really good people who want to come and work with you and enthusiastic motivated and engaged and i think increasingly what and it might surprise me but increasingly our recruitment has drifted more towards the person than it has towards the training actually and we've got highly technical roles so of course some of the people that work for us need to be technically competent to do that but all of the people in those roles are technically the complement, the differentiator is actually what skills values and behaviors do they bring and how do they work those relationships within increasingly multifunctional teams so i just come back to really this is this is the right way to deliver long term sustainable financial performance and there is pressure you know we can't escape that in small organizations and bigger organizations it manifests itself in different way but there is definitely pressure to deliver financial results but taking a longer term view I think most enlightened people and include shareholders in that will take that view certainly if you look at how we're incentivized then we're incentivizing bonus over the long-term performance of the business not the short and that itself drives behaviors
1: Okay. And Trisha, is this something you see from a start a startup point of view? I mean, because it, it, there's obviously the the, the the sort of story now is you get funding and then you exit. So how, how does this is there pressure being created by the by the entrepreneur or the expectations?
0: Well, I think there's the there's the the rat way listener that entrepreneurs, certainly first time entrepreneurs, think that that's the process they need to go to is raise funding, raise funding, raise funding. But I want to go back to something your controversial comment that you said there, which is, you know, so what? You know, you know well-being, like it's a nice-to-have. If that's the type of business owner that you are, if you believe that that's what it is, then it's probably going to fail because you don't really believe in the value of actually implementing those types of initiatives and supporting your employees in that way. Um, and in terms of the money question, well, the proof is in the data. There's enough businesses, you guys, UK Fast, the the airport group, we're all describing investing in people. Really, if you invest in people, then the profits look after themselves and the the profits here are are demonstrating that 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 works. But you do have to be strong and if you do have investors um, to be able to kind of keep the umbrella up and not let that cascade and start putting pressure on those those different initiatives. And then that goes back to making sure that you make really good decisions as, as entrepreneurs on who you take investment from are they the same type of values um, that you have as a business? Can you work with them? Can you go for a drink or go out for a walk with them? Um, because if they're not, then that's, chances are they're going to help probably change your business, um, have an, a negative impact on the team that you've spent a lot of time uh, trying to build up and building the success that you have and ultimately probably build end up in a, in a failure. But not that failure is failure. We all know that. It's all failure is learning. But it's a very painful process. So it's always... Taking Listening to the learnings from um, successful entrepreneurs, how they've done it. Is it the way that you want to build your business? And if it is, take, trying to take out the bits that you can. Um, so it's not a cost. I think that's the thing. It's not a cost. It's an investment.
4: Just one very really simple quick example of that. We, we hope we've got a volunteering culture. We want all of our senior people to be out working in communities doing stuff. So we encourage everyone to engage. We pay them actually to take time off work and go and do community projects. And we think they're our best ambassadors, but actually when we take quite a sort of business view of this and look at what are the implications, we have to get some numbers. And what we find is that... The people that volunteer report higher engagement 19 points higher the people that volunteer are twice as likely to get the highest ratings in their annual performance review they have lower sickness absence and overall they bring valuable skills back into the business that we didn't have before so when you reframe how you're doing this you can make a really rational long-term sustainable case for getting involved in it that's, that's very interesting and, and why just why do you think that is um i, th- I think fundamentally it's about deeper personal values and behaviours and if you touch on what people's values and behaviours are then actually you'd properly engage them at a deeper level, it's not superficial and then you get proper loyalty and long term and all of the other things that we're looking for in the people that we want to work with.
1: And and so Richard, everyone's nodding in agreement there but this is really interesting because this is almost the opposite of what I think is I don't even say accepted but just the norms are that you pay people well, you get them with a good capability, you drive them hard, and that creates profit. What we seem to be saying is there's a sort of deeper connection of uh, perhaps what truly inspires people or motivates them. And and, and again, I'm interested, you're working with uh, many apprentices and many startups and scale-ups, and again, is this something you're seeing, Richard?
2: Well, if you just look at our own business ourselves, you know, as the growth company, I mean, you know, we've got over a thousand people now and the people that we attract are those that really believe in our purpose. So we've got a whole bunch of people that come to us and those that, you know, it's almost the first thing I look for in any interview with anybody is to say, do they really buy into our purpose, our core philosophy and our beliefs? And if you get someone who does that, you know, I mean, uh, I'm just about to uh, try and convince myself that I'm going to recruit someone who's absolutely off the scale on that but absolutely knew nothing about the topic I'm uh, uh, recruiting for. Uh, and I think I'm still going to do it. And do you know what? It's probably going to be really, really successful doing that. So so certainly certainly, that is something that being a purposeful organisation who attract people who really buy into that, and when you get those two things together, that certainly works. But I think the interesting thing is you say, yeah, it's not good. But we see it from so many of our clients, people realising the economic benefits for, for them as individuals, as leaders, for their business and that sustainability. So you see time and time again people that are coming to us recognising that and that become a kind of new philosophy that's driving them. I mean, you know, we've got so many businesses. I mean, there's a really well-established textile business in Manchester, Rowlandsons, that's just become uh, employee-owned uh, you know, we've got a number of big digital agencies that have just become uh, employee owned. Where the owner said, you know what, fine, I could sell it, I could go, but actually, I'm going to pass this on to, to, the, to, to the workforce and let them run this and let them take that forward. And that becomes a new philosophy, a new way of, of working. And I think it's always been there. There's always been the John Lewis's and the others, but just seeing that take off in more walks of life and more sectors where you haven't traditionally seen that, I think it is becoming a, a norm, yeah. So what so I'm
1: hearing is there's a sort of connection or a deeper connection of the employee with the employer, perhaps, or perhaps but through a shared purpose. And, and I mean, But I'm curious, that just the impact this has onto a wider community then, and again, because this is, I guess part of what we're talking about is the connection between the individual and the sort of societal and and Liz from your point of view we're talking around purpose we're talking around the people in the company but how does this kind of impact onto the wider community I mean you're in various different um uh, countries now
3: yeah well um you need to be able to give it a label so ours is tech for good okay um uh, and it's about being proud of what you do, not just being clever, but being proud of what you do and the positive contribution you can make. And actually, as a business, that we only tend to bid for that type of work anyway. There are lots of contracts out there where you can make money, but actually, it doesn't sit comfortably with your conscience. I always do the test. It's like, would I be proud to tell my mum what I'm doing? um i know it's it's yeah it's a you have to have a benchmark uh so with with our staff they already buy into that like you were saying richard you know uh we we promote it we've given it a label it's easy and relatable and then we say to people when they join us just as part of their onboarding process we say okay what are the things that are close to your heart some of them work for ngos uh they use their day job skills their expert practitioner skills uh, to go into, for example, natural disaster zones, map action, uh, and to support communities, we give them uh, time out to do that. Um, some of them actually are really serious technical people, and um, they go into schools where they don't have teachers. A lot of underprivileged schools don't have technical uh, teachers to teach them coding, so they do coding clubs after after school, and they have such a feel good about it. They have such a feel good and they bring that energy back into the workplace and you're right, they have less sickies. So if you give people half a day off, like every fortnight or a day off a month, actually you're probably getting that back by not having sick leave. You're probably getting that back through productivity and commitment. And the weird thing is they'll probably do an extra hour a day for a few days anyway to catch up with the workload and they do that willingly and happily because they're getting something emotionally back from you, freeing them to do things that are close to their heart. So we give people a choice. They can go and work for an NGO. They can go and work. Some of them actually are in the reserve forces. Uh, some of them work for you know schools running coding clubs. Some of them support charities. It doesn't matter what they do. Most of them do something tech, because there's such a shortage of skills in tech that they can give that back.
1: So that's how we do it. So, so I mean, Neil, I'm curious about, you, you touched on this slightly, about you, you're obviously employing a lot of people, but how do you, often a lot of the sort of what we talk about is very kind of middle class, you know, like you know, highly educated people <coughs> doing highly intellectual work um, at a, and being entrepreneurial and getting a loan and stuff. How do you kind of get all walks of life into your business and what's the, what's the value of that?
4: Um I mean, said to at the top, we we always see ourselves being regional businesses, serving regional customers. There are definite social challenges around our airports, and we've got a definite demand for people so putting those two together gives us an inherent opportunity i think one of the fair challenges i had a few years ago in chatting to an mp actually was that it's great you're creating so many jobs but actually it's going back to this point about value it's great you're creating so many jobs but we don't want all the people off the estate to come and clean your office and it's all like quite challenging Well well, actually there's a fair cop there what do we do and how do we get people to join us but actually to find a right level for them in the business and to have the opportunity. And so what we offer is a portfolio of support ranging from basic skills, fundamental mass, English customer service through to more advanced. And you can take all of that training free of charge. You can develop your own sort of personal attributes and you find your own path through the organisation. And when you've got an organisation that's growing quite rapidly, opportunities open up. And we've seen a lot of examples of people that have maybe indirect careers but find a level in the business that really suits them.
1: And Trisha, how do you see this in terms of uh, the community and and bringing in diverse sort of people from diverse backgrounds into into the mix?
0: Well, I was was sitting listening to what everybody was talking about there, and I know you've come from a corporate background as well, um, Elizabeth. So I'm just sitting here like thinking, you know, up until two and a half years ago, I wasn't in tech. I'm just wondering how many people in the room are actually from a tech background or coming from a tech point of view here. It's
1: quite a lot, I think.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So, like, see if I was uh, back in my... So, I have a 10-year professional services career before this new journey into the tech industry, which up until, like, I moved to Manchester, knew nothing about, literally nothing. Um, And then before that, I was in 10 years of sales organisation. And if I sat talking to them, either of those organisations they honestly would sit and think I had like gone mad and they they just wouldn't have bought into because you're just the way you were talking about it's like but so what like I don't get it we don't get it like you're all into this but is everybody else and uh you know I think is it is it the tech industry that's really really forward thinking in this space um you know is it is it is it the other industries Richard that we do need to pull along with this obviously I think the Manchester airport group's an exception because of the co- the culture that's being fostered with the collaborative part within the local authority and the investment and the, the ownership that way model that you guys have is different so the the values that you have is maybe slightly different to maybe other airport groups um, as far as the community goes there is a huge number of um, initiatives that are going on that are that are tapping into each of those different underrepresented groups um, and I'm and I know that there are many um, in London I was sitting having uh, dinner with somebody who was telling me about a great one um, that's down in um, down in East London on Wednesday night but yeah like we've got you know everything focusing on neurodiversity so we've got Sandcode, we've got um, the different uh, some of the poorest wards in Manchester or for the whole of the UK are in Manchester but there's springing up their own um, coding clubs, there's Moss Code, which is for Moss, Iden, Hume, and if anybody has ever heard of those um, words, they've they've had a pretty interesting uh, history. Um, but they're they're pulling themselves out of it with the support of the council and with the support of, of the growth company and, and putting resources into those places. Um, the council is getting on board with um, our aging challenge. You know, we've got a, an aging uh, uh, you know demographic. How do we reskill those people, and how do we as businesses work with the to help provide job job opportunities for them. Um, Solidarity in Tech is um, the biggest sort of citywide inclusion initiative. Um, it's supported by UK Fast. We host all of their events on campus. And that's looking at all underrepresented groups but has a particular focus on the ethnicity. So there's there's different things happening and they're all kind of working collectively together um, right across the community. And I think no matter what report you look at, um, that's one of the things that Manchester's always rated incredibly highly for is that that collaboration And it's what attracts people to move to Manchester. Like last year, I think it was the first time that we've stemmed our brain drain. So we've got like, I don't know, seven universities. More, more seven and historically we lose our graduates to london they all come here because they can see a career and they can see um sort of a, a longer uh, job opportunity and for the first time because of the growth and the um the interest that we've had from the bigger organizations is that we've st- we've stemmed that and actually the we've now started getting a net gain from from places like london people choosing they're seeing all the kind of cool stuff that's happening and and see a better quality of life and see a better living standard um that was one of the other interesting um, figures that came out of the Tech Nation report. Like, you'll get a higher salary in London, but actually when you take the cost of living off that, um, actually Belfast was (laughs) the best place to live.
3: Yeah. Not
0: that I live there anymore, but... (laughs) She's moving back. I have to go back. I will go back eventually. We all go back. What's,
1: What's kind of interesting, actually, in this conversation is this sort of thread between the macro and the micro and the sort of mindset and the philosophy, really, all the kind of heart stuff that's threading that together. Um, yeah, and Richard, did, did, did you, is this something you're, you? Because this is where our conversation came from. Is this something you, you, you see, and, and and how how can what do people lo- what can people here learn from that?
2: So, can, can I just add one point yeah. just to, to to answer your previous question around you know how do you reach those community groups? I mean, I think we're probably one of the probably the only organisation in the room that's got a jail. Uh, right. So we've got our own jail, and, and, we, we, and so we, do, careful. we do. We do lock people up. Uh, yeah, yeah, don't worry. But, and why do we do that? Well, what we've got is we've got a, a charity that we set up uh, that is basically getting a whole load of kids. Uh, To teach them how bad that is if they take certain directions in life. We've got ex-offenders who work for us, and we do have we do have a jail. And I think uh, there's somebody lobbying uh, for a few of us to spend 24 hours in there, the senior management team. So I don't know if we're going to do that or not. But you know, so I think. But it's getting it's getting. I'm sure you would. I'm sure you would. Yeah. So so so. But it's about getting that really hard-to-reach groups and doing some really tough stuff and doing some stuff that goes right and how that relates to that community and getting some ex vendors who've come from that community to engage with them. And I think the challenge is from, it's very easy from a kind of policy and leadership perspective to come from that certain mindset of reaching out and wanting to do, actually you need people from that community to lead the activity often and that, that's critical to that. So that's
1: really fascinating. And so there is this thread from the sort of big to the small. I'm just going we have got 10, ten more minutes or so—and I just I'd like to zoom right out because um, one of the things that all of this activity has is an impact on the planet, and that's one of the um, things we're talking about. And I'm curious, I guess, from a, um, at the Air, Manchester Airport Group and airports, and um, obviously that's a um, source of. You know, I guess one of the things people are talking about, cutting down on flights. So how can, how can um, uh, Manchester Airport Group, how, how do you sort of square that, this inclusive idea with the impact on the planet?
4: I have to be careful when I talk about airplanes and the environment because I might get a bit passionate, sorry. <laughs> it's just I think there's, there's a common view, isn't it, that we all need to feel some sort of flying shame and we should all fly less in the future. And I just think it's so wrong. I think if you look at what aviation has done as a relatively fresh industry, less than 100 years old, transformed the world, we all have travel opportunities, so much bigger perspective than we ever had, and we don't want to lose that, and we shouldn't lose that. But actually, if you frame what we've got, which is a long-term perspective in your business, well, actually, climate change is an existential threat for a lot of businesses. A lot of businesses just don't realise that. It's more obvious for aviation. And so what we did, in terms of starting with, if you like, our own part of this, is we made a commitment to make our airports carbon neutral 14 years ago. We delivered that over the course of 10 years' work. We've had carbon neutral airports for some time. We were one of the first purchasers of renewable energy. We had um, our electricity bill reasonably large one you know we pay nearly 30 million pounds a year for electricity so we've got a bit of market pull there we can help to pull some renewables through we've done all the right things in that so in some ways that puts us as an airports organization in the right spot but actually makes a relatively modest contribution to the overall picture because you know again it's not it's a fairly obvious point it's not about airports it's about aircraft so actually we've got a responsibility to engage in the bigger industry So we come together as an industry under a group called Sustainable Aviation. It's all of the major manufacturers, the people you've heard of, the Rolls-Royces and Airbus and others, the major airports like Heathrow, Gatwick, ourselves, um, the airlines, people like British Airways, IAG, EasyJet, the others. I happen to chair that organisation. And what we have is a common vision about how we can drive out carbon from our industry. So we've got a plan that goes to 2050. That means we can double the scale of the industry without increasing emissions from 2005 levels That's really challenging. That's a really great start. And it's delivered through lots of tech, lots of investment, lots of improvements. But clearly, in the current context, it doesn't go far enough. So, it's a challenge to our industry to say, how do you go from essentially halving your emissions to making them zero? That's what we're working on at the moment. But we start with the right mindset, which is how do we get there to realize all the great social and economic benefits rather than how do we give up and lose all the benefits that we've gained through aviation? I'm really confident we're going to get there. But we are in a harder to reach sector. But we're focusing on it, and we're bringing the right mindset.
1: And, and Liz, you, your uh, your business is in Australia and in the UK, and, and so you have this sort kind of global point of view. So how does this, all of this square with that as well?
3: Well, where I where I four, fourteen thousand and one accredited, so that's the environmental uh, that's the environmental management system, the global standard for it. Um, we actually put it out to our staff. We asked, them to put, um, uh, we, we asked them to suggest... I mean, there are things a business can do. We've got, for example, sensors in a lot of rooms that are not used very often so that the lights are automatically turned off. We have LED conversions to everything. And not only that, it's actually more cost-effective. It costs you at the time, but you get that back in terms of consumption. Um, environmental management measures actually come out in the wash financially. I can tell you that myself. We've done the numbers. But in terms of staff, uh, we actually asked them to say, OK, so if we were going to make a positive impact on... You know, our footprint what the, uh, of our business in terms of running, what do you think? So the staff actually run their own recycling Uh, we car share, we use public transport where possible. Uh, When we have international flights, we actually subscribe to a scheme where there is uh, an offset for the carbon emissions, and so we pay a small premium, which we're happy to do. But going back to that, if you have a company driven by purpose and values, your staff have a feel-good factor to that as well. They know they're contributing not just to our financial and commercial success, but they're doing it in a way that sits well with their conscience. It, and, 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 Trisha, and We even o- don't have plastic cups. We have uh, right. ceramic cups. That creates a different problem. We share the bugs around, so we've had to go <laughs> and get anecdotal we've had to get um, antibacterial washing so we even go down to that level Amazing. no disposable cups and
1: plastic and, and just me from a point of data centers and tech all this electricity how do you again like tech industry has a part to play in this which
0: oh is- yes data hosting companies don't they they're just big energy monsters using all the electricity we're probably up there with their ports in terms of uh, popularity for that and the cooling the killing that we have to use so um, UK Fast was actually one of the first uh, carbon neutral hosting companies is that me or the trains um, they, they achieved that back in 2010 sort of probably around the same time as you and they now work with Tech UK on their climate change agreement and they've got three of the data centres already accredited and the fourth um, on the way. We have the same ISO standard is integral to what, what we do. Those are all the, the big things that you can do. Um, and then it's like looking at the data centres themselves. It's like, how can we actually get them to reduce the amount of energy and cooling that they need? So one of the big projects that they're working on this year is actually replacing all of the firewalls, the the you know the, the, the black boxes, the hot boxes, um, and getting rid of the physical uh, uh, firewalls and replacing that with a layer of virtualisation. So those Firewalls will all now live in the cloud. That means they don't need the energy. That means they don't need the cooling. That means that there's more space in the data centers. So it'll be a little bit longer before we have to build another data center, which creates all, all, all sorts of other environmental problems. Um, but we even think try and think smart around that. So although it's a tech company, um, it has a tech incubator, but it also has its own building company. It's like it is a very unusual. Like it's a very uh, vertical, wow. vertically integrated business, so it's called UK Fast Spaces, and they build all our data centers, do all our refurbishment, mm-hmm. and they actually achieve an eight percent um, waste to landfill ratio compared to the, the construction standard of thirty mm-hmm. percent. They use corian. If anybody's ever come, come and see our offices, corian is everywhere, but it is actually one of the most um, lowest carbon producing um, products that you can use, and actually improves the air quality. And um, so these are all the sort of big things um but i think it's the little things it, that actually add so much uh, value like we've just had world environment day and it was the staff sort of voting on things that they wanted to do like getting rid of single-use plastic and just checking that's not my solicitor <laughs> oh no it's fine it's uk fast spaces actually um um you know it's those little things that matter just as much um and it's like but it's always like what else what else what else can we do so the the next thing that we're doing next month is re- replacing all the fleet cars with teslas right. so it's going to be quite, pretty cool to go to business meetings. wow and save, well, there the, we go. And save the environment
1: I'll come, I'll come to work for you and get a tesla <laughs> um richard i believe andy burnham set a target for manchester to go carbon neutral is that correct?
2: Yeah, he has. So uh, by 2038, uh, which is ahead of, way ahead of where the UK has uh, set its targets for, so that's a really ambitious target. So that's right. going to mean a 15% reduction every year, and that's going to mean some huge changes for the city. That means the way individuals operate in the city, the way businesses operate, the way hospitals, etc. cetera, and some really big challenges there. But I think that big commitment, there's been two huge green summits, bringing everybody together to look at how we can achieve those uh, those ambitions and getting right down into the uh, the wedges as we describe it, and looking at each wedge and how we can tackle it to really achieve that. So there's a really big ambition that is absolutely being taken up by many of the organisations in the city, you know, the airport, UK Fast and others, uh, at the cutting edge of some of that. And uh, that's certainly something we're looking to to drive out and, and make sure it's there. And you know we've put a lot of practical st- steps in place to help people Get into the low carbon sector. We've got a resource efficiency team that helps people. We've helped uh, save 1.5 million tonnes so far uh, of CO2. So there's a lot of practical steps, as well as that policy ambition, around so bringing it down, having the champions who are doing it, but then making sure the services in place for a much broader base of businesses to benefit from it. Um, uh, right. Before I'm going
1: to finish up now, with one final question, Richard, when are we coming to Manchester as Get Ahead?
2: So we'd love to have uh, Get Ahead in Manchester. We'd love to, to, to bring you up here and collaborate with you to do that. Love to have that in uh, 2020 and, and aim towards that and uh, have that as one of your first key cities that you reach out from beyond London. So well, we'd I love mean, to do
1: that. Well, I, I, I listen, this is fantastic uh, opportunity. I, I, one of our initial visions was to, to take this, this event to other cities. So I think today... I mean, let's, let's do the deal. All right, well, there we go. Let's bring it 2020... <laughs> yes. We're going to bring our head festival to Manchester. So you're all invited to see you there. All right, thank, can you please thank our panel? They're really fantastic.